Good, good morning, Cornerstone Bible Church. It is a blessing to sing with you this this morning. I liked uh, Jeremy's idea there of us all standing up in our homes, uh, just a way for us all to be unified together. Uh, I think that you can hear from our hearts this morning. Uh, we are all feeling the longing to, to, to be back together, and Lord willing, that will happen as soon as possible. If you have your Bibles with you, please turn to Colossians 1. I'm going to read again from verses 3 to 14. This morning, though, I'm going to focus on the second half of verse 10, and Lord willing, we'll finish up uh, next week in verses 11 to 14. Colossians 1, verses 3 to 14. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you just as in all the world also. It is constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God and truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bondservant, who's a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf. And he also informed us of your love in the spirit, for this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthen with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share an inheritance of the saints in light. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray. Now, Father, we are blown away and our hearts erupt in praise as we read those last verses. Um, we thank you for all the blessings we have in Christ Jesus, and we want to live lives that are worthy of him, bearing fruit and increasing in the knowledge of you. And Father, we come before you humbled, uh, Lord, recognizing that it takes your spirit, that that is through whom you work, your spirit, uh, to work in our hearts to transform us to the image of your son. And we ask, Father, that that is what happens as we hear from you speaking in your word this morning. Pray, Father, that I would rightly explain your word and that your spirit would work for the glory of your son and your eternal praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Some of you uh, know of the uh, famous American artist named Georgia O'Keeffe. She was an artist of the 20th century known as the mother of American mo modernism. Excuse me. You'd likely recognize some of her paintings. She is well known for her paintings of flowers and sometimes uh, uh, cow skulls found in the desert. So I know that's, that's kind of strange, but if you saw these paintings, you would recognize them. Well, one website reported that uh, when she was in her 90s, she was prepping for, for an exhibit. This is in the 1980s. And the mu museum curator told the story of how on the night before a show Georgia O'Keeffe had planned, that Georgia O'Keeffe wanted to go into storage to destroy some of the paintings that she didn't think were at her level. And so this is the night before the show. The museum curator continues, when she got to the end of her life, she really wanted to purge so that her reputation remained strong. Georgia O'Keeffe was concerned about her legacy, her reputation, how she would be remembered. She wanted to do away with art that fell short of her own high standard. If you imagine your life as an exhibit, what would you go back and destroy if you could? Maybe you wish you could go back and erase certain decisions you're now ashamed of. You'd like to paint over some of those choices. Maybe there's whole days, whole weeks that you would shred if you could. For some of us, that longing can be very self-centered, a self-centered desire to be remembered as better 
than who we are. For others, though, we are aware that the way we lived didn't match up with the gift of God's grace to us in Christ Jesus, that our lives weren't being lived in a worthy manner. We can't go back and undo the ways that we've lived that weren't worthy of Jesus Christ. But we can go forward by God's grace, living lives worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ, fully pleasing to him. And that is what Paul was praying for the, the, for, for, for the saints as he wrote the letter of, of Colossians. Last week, we challenged our hearts to make the most of our lockdown by praying for one another to spend time cultivating and growing in this ministry of intercessory prayer. We focused on verses 9 and 10 of, of Colossians 1, where the Apostle Paul, who was in prison for the gospel, prayed for the Colossians, saints that he had never even met, a church that he had never been to. A church, though, that was beginning to struggle with some false teaching creeping in. So Epaphras had come uh, from from Colossae to uh, Rome, where the Apostle Paul was imprisoned. And he asked for Paul's wisdom and help. And Paul responds by writing this letter. We saw last week the heart of Paul's, the heart behind Paul's intercessory prayer. We saw that he had a thankful heart, that he gave thanks for these saints that he had never even met. And that it even says we give thanks to God, praying always for you. Every time he came and prayed for them, he did so with thanksgiving. He also had a hopeful heart and he recognized what God was doing in them. He saw God's grace working in them. He could speak of their faith in Christ Jesus and the love that they had for the saints and their hope that was laid up for them in heaven. He spoke about how they were part of the ever-increasing group of saints that were part of the fruit of the gospel going around the world. We also saw that his, that his prayers came from a convinced heart, that he was confident that God answered prayers. And he had a concerned heart that they, this, this church he hadn't met, were on his heart as he didn't cease to pray for them. And I trust by God's grace, you have been on one another's hearts this past week and that you haven't ceased praying for one another. We saw the focus of Paul's intercessory prayer in the second half of verse 9, that they'd be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, that their lives would be increasingly dominated by what God has revealed of himself, what God has revealed in the gospel, and the commands that God has given, that God's instructions and that God's plan for our lives would be dominating their minds. We saw the purpose behind Paul's intercessory prayer as well in the beginning of verse 10. And we're going to continue in verse 10 this morning. So it says, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please uh, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, to walk in a manner worthy to pleasing him in all respects, that their lives would increasingly be pleasing to, to God in a manner worthy. That wasn't, that doesn't mean to make ourselves worthy, to try to earn our right standing with God, but in a way that is appropriate to God's grace to us in Christ Jesus, a life that matches up with this incredible grace that has been given. And so this morning, we're going to follow along with Paul's thinking. He's telling them what he's praying for them, but he's also teaching them what it is to live worthy. So this morning, we're going to look at the first of uh, the first two of four characteristics that Paul gives of walking worthy so that you can be confident that you are bringing your father in heaven pleasure. We're going to look at two of four characteristics of walking worthy so that you can be confident that you are bringing pleasure to your father in heaven. During this strange season, and it has been a strange season. I can't think of a stranger seven weeks of my life. Maybe for some of you, it's been a lonely season. Maybe it's been a season of stress for some of you. And Lord willing, it is a temporary season. As you get to the end of the season, will you have lived worthy? If you imagine that you have a, a, a COVID-19 hallway in your life's 
work in an exhibition of your life, as you go down that hallway, will your heavenly father be pleased? And really what we're going to learn this morning isn't just for this season. It's not only during lockdown. In fact, these, these characteristics of a worthy life can be used to evaluate your everyday's painting. You can, as you go to bed, ask, did I live this day worthy of my Lord? And asking each night can bring us to God's grace. We don't have to be afraid of that question. On some days, it's going to reveal God's grace to us, how merciful he was for us, how patient he was for us, and how much he's working in our lives. It can be a source of great joy as we close our eyes and look at that day's painting and see what God is accomplishing. But it also can be a source of seeing God's grace of God's, of how much we need God's grace. And us receiving grace from God for that day's painting, which wasn't worthy of his son. So this is really what this is about this morning. It's about living worthy, but then getting grace when we know that we haven't. And recognizing grace when we see that we have been. So let's look at these the, the, the first of these two characteristics here. The first one is pretty simple. It's right from the text. Walk worthy by bearing fruit in every good work. Walk worthy by bearing fruit in every good work. And that's exactly what Colossians 1.10 says. That you walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work. Now you may have realized and, and recognized that Paul used that same phrase earlier as I read Colossians 1 before preaching. Colossians 1 verses 5 and 6 uses that phrase, bearing fruit and increasing. It said in verse 5, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, talking about the gospel, the gospel which has come to you, just as in all the world also, it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing even as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard of it. The gospel is still bearing fruit and increasing. By God's grace, as, as, as I am joined by myriads of my brothers in Christ preaching this gospel this day, it is going to go forth bearing fruit and increasing. But God's grace is not only bearing fruit and increasing by more people getting saved, it is also bearing fruit and increasing in each of our lives as we individuals are increasingly transformed to Christ. So Paul was encouraged by the breadth of, of gospel growth as more and more got saved, but then also he's talking about the depth of gospel growth, how in individuals God is working in us, bearing fruit and increasing us in the knowledge of God. The fruit on the tree of the pleasing Christian is every good work. A Christian who walks worthy grows good works. A pleasing Christian is a productive Christian. Now, every, now I know that that can be a disturbing word. Every doesn't mean that we can do every good work we can imagine or every even good work we wish we could do. The internet can present us with so many options for good works. We are left spinning, and if we're not careful, feeling perpetually guilty. But we can be engaged, and this is what's meant by every, every kind of good work. We, we are diversifying our portfolio of good works. We do good works inside our home and outside our home, to our family and to our friends, to the saved and to the lost to what is easy for us or easier for us and part of our gift set and, and, and works that are hard for us and, and less natural. Works that people are, that they know that we do and they see and then other works that are invisible and no one sees. That word good, that describing these, these, these good works, these good deeds, it's high standing of worth and works that have merit, that are morally excellent. These good works at times are even recognized by a world that is opposed to God as good works. Listen, this, the same phrase is used in Romans 13.3. For rulers are not a cause of fear for, for, good, for good behavior. And that phrase there is our good works or good deeds, but for evil. 
Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. Even the government recognizes what good works are. In general, if your life is dominated by good works, you're not going to have any problems with the authorities. And that's what Paul is saying while under the horrible Roman government that was persecuting Christians. In general, even the lost government can recognize good deeds. This uh, uh, phrase is used in Acts 9, verse 36 of Tabitha. This, this, this woman, it just says, was abounding with deeds of kindness and charity, which she continually deed, that did. These deeds of kindness. She was making clothes for people. People recognized for her. She had a reputation of doing good deeds. First Timothy 5.10 talks about widows in your church that you should make sure to be helping. They have a reputation for good works. And if she has brought up children, if she has known, shown hospitality to strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has assisted those in distress, if she's devoted herself to every good work, those are the kinds of good deeds we should be doing. When, when someone looks at your reputation, they should know that you are a doer of good deeds. You do good works. So what are these morally excellent deeds that are valued even by those without Christ? Really, it's impossible to list them all. It, 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 it is the way we work to provide for our families. It is the way we care for our children. It is the generosity we show. It is our devotion to our spouses. It is the, the, the hospitality we have to our strangers. It is writing letters and gift giving. It is picking up grocery for, for old, older people who can't go. It is being concerned about people's physical health and their emotional health and their spiritual self. It is sacrificing for the good of others. And that's just dipping our toes in the water of good deeds. Now, the lost world can value many of those good deeds, but the final judge of worth and merit of good deeds is God and not man. God's word makes known the good deeds for which we should be known. His word is where, and this brings us back to earlier in verse 9, where we find the knowledge of his will and why we pray for all spiritual wisdom and understanding that we would be dominated by his will, which makes good works known. Christ's blood was shed for you to be devoted to good deeds. Titus 2, 14 says that Christ gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. Your gift of salvation is for you to invest yourself in good deeds. And again, be encouraged. Be encouraged, moms. Those good deeds can be inside your home. Good deeds are those that, that match up with God's character and God's will for us. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, for good deeds, which God prepared beforehand so that we should walk in them. In eternity past, God prepared good deeds for you to be do doing. This is not just a box to be checked. This is how we walk worthy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I think that you know this. Good deeds are not the basis for our being saved. It's not the way we make ourselves right with God. We mustn't confuse the fruit of salvation with the root of, of salvation. Good deeds are the fruit of our salvation. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says that by grace you are saved through faith and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not as a result of work so that no one may boast. Our salvation is not a matter of our doing good deeds. We do not buy our way into heaven. We do not try to balance out Jesus's good works by doing our own good deeds. We want to live worthy of the good deed that he did when he saved us by living out of that new life he's given us, of our union with him, a life dominated by good deeds. Good deeds are not the way we get saved, but they are an evidence that we have been saved. John 15, verse 8 says, My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. We prove to be Jesus' disciples. We demonstrate that we belong to him by the fruit that we bear, including good deeds. Now, God's word helps us learn to be those who grow in doing good deeds. Listen to 2 Timothy 2, 21 to 22, and talks about how we can become useful to our master. 
In 2 Timothy 2, verses 21 and 22, it says, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. How, how do we do this? How do we become useful to our Savior? How do we become prepared for every good work? Well, he tells us in verse 22 of 2 Timothy 2, now flee from youthful lust. Run away from sin. If you want to be useful, if you want to live worthy of our Lord Jesus Christ by doing good deeds, run from sin. And instead, he continues in 2 Timothy 2.22, pursue righteousness, pursue faith, pursue love, pursue peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Run from sin and pursue righteousness and you will be prepared for every good work. Again, it's not cleaning ourselves up to make ourselves acceptable to God, but because you have become acceptable to God, get rid of filth so that you can do good works. But there's more. Scripture tells us how we can be, be prepared for good works, equipped for them. In 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 to 17, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training and righteousness so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. If you want to know how to be equipped for every good work, it's going to be God's word being spoken into our lives, teaching us, reproving us, correcting us, training us in righteousness so that we can do good works. That is how we learn to do good works at our jobs, how children learn to do good works in their home, how we learn to do good works in the body of Christ, how we learn to do good works as, as husband and wives. We learn to do good works as we are equipped through God's word. So we need to be having a diet of God's word so that we can go to it and say, Lord, what good works do you have for me? But all of this is impossible without our union with Jesus Christ. Listen to John 15, verses 4 and 5. Abide in me and I in you. Stay in me. Be united to me. Believe in me. Hope in me. Rest in me. Have union with me. Walk closely with me. And I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Jesus says, so neither can you unless you abide in me. If you're not staying close to me, you're not going to be bearing fruit. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, who stays in me, who, 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 who waits in me, and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Perhaps that is just most simply walking with the Lord Jesus Christ day by day, talking to him and listening to him in his word staying fresh with the Lord Jesus, keeping our, our intimacy with him all through the day, going back to him, coming to him just as we sang, as those who are needy and fearful, those who are weak. Christians can do some good deeds similar to those who don't know Christ. But our good deeds come from a different found. They flow from a different faucet. Our good deeds are the overflow of a mind that is filled with God's will. It is, they come from a, a heart that is submitted to God's son. It comes from a will that is empowered by God's spirit. From a compelling desire to walk worthy, to please him. And that is how our good deeds are different from those who serve a different master. For the believer, God alone is the only one who gets the glory for our good deeds because they do not come from ourselves. They do not come from our own faucet. We do not have a reservoir for good deeds. Lost people might be able to, to pump something out that kind of looks good, but God doesn't get the glory for that. Our good deeds come through Jesus Christ to the glory of God the Father. So we rely upon him. We go dependently to him and we give credit to him. He is the source of those good deeds. Now, as, as believers, we need to stretch ourselves in doing good deeds. We need to take the priority of those good deeds from Jesus Christ. We need to stretch ourselves in works of action, but also good deeds of speech. Sharing the gospel is a good deed. We all know, and I've used this illustration before, if our neighbor's house is on fire, it is a good deed to warn them. And our neighbor's houses are 
on fire. It is a good deed to warn them, to plead with them, to call them to turn to Jesus Christ. It is, we need to do good deeds inside our home. We need to stretch ourselves to do good deeds outside our home. We need to do good deeds within the body of Christ and among those who yet need to hear of the good news of Jesus Christ. Titus 3, verse 14, and this is such a, a, a good verse, and I think by God's grace working in you, you have been devoting yourself to these kinds of good deeds and taking opportunity with neighbors. Titus 3, 14 says, Our people must also learn to engage in good deeds to meet pressing needs so that they will not be unfruitful. This is a time of pressing needs. This is a time really to make ourselves lovely to our neighbors. Galatians 6.10 says, While we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are the household of faith. Do good to all, especially to those who are the household of faith. Now, I want to give you some, some encouragement here if you're not already encouraged. Listen to 2 Corinthians 9.8. This is, this is a beautiful verse. And, and, and it is in the context of giving, uh, but I don't think it's just in, 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 in a should be limited to God giving us money so that we can give. L listen to this, 2 Corinthians 9, 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. Wow. God is able to make all grace abound to you. So as you commit saying, I want to do more good deeds. I want to do more good deeds in, in my home. I want to do more good deeds outside of my home. I want to do more good deeds of speaking and more of acting. I, I want to be more generous. I want to be more other-centered. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. You have the resources for good deeds in Jesus Christ if you indeed are in Jesus Christ. So I wanted to encourage you with 2 Corinthians 9, 8. But listen also to, 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 to Philippians 1, verse 6. The good deeds that we are called to do are an overflow of the good deed that God has done in our life. And uh, although it is translated here, a good work, it is the same phrase, a good a, a, a good work or a good deed. I'm going to mix up a, a versions here. Philippians 1, 6. For I am confident of this very thing. He who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Your good deeds are not over because God is doing a good deed in you. He began that good work in you and he is bringing it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus for those of you who are in Christ Jesus. Now, as you notice at the uh as we continue in verse 10, it says, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in, in the knowledge of God. Now there are four phrases and we'll get to, 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 to the other two next week, Lord, Lord, Lord willing, of how we walk worthy. And, and they're kind of parallel phrases, but there's only one that Paul joins together with an and. It's bearing fruit and increasing in the knowledge of God. And perhaps Paul knows that some of us by nature are going to focus on doing at the expense of knowing. And some of us will more naturally focus on knowing at the expense of doing. Responsibilities towards others must not leave behind our relationship with God. And bearing fruit must never be separated from increasing in the knowledge of God. And so that brings us to the second uh, way we walk worthy of our Lord Jesus Christ. The first is to walk worthy by bearing fruit in every good work. The second is to walk worthy by increasing in the knowledge of God. Walk worthy by increasing in the knowledge of God. The and indicates that, that, that these are joined God's people are to be and people. We are to be hand people and heart people, hand people and head people. We need to be increasing in the knowledge of God. And really, the knowledge of God is both head and heart. Increasing, growing in the knowledge of God. John 17, 3 says that this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. This is what eternal life is. It is knowing God. But it's not just coming to know God and having the lights turned on and seeing him and seeing ourselves and running to Jesus Christ and knowing him as our savior. We are to be increasing it in the knowledge of God. That little word there, in. It means 
in the realm of the knowledge of God. And I know that that maybe sounds strange. It's like a sailor increasing in the knowledge of the sea. Lifelong, that sailor understands the sea better and better. Or it's an artist increasing in the knowledge of beauty, in the realm of beauty. That, that, that artist, in a sense, is in this, this forest of beauty. And, 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 and as an artist is looking around, is understanding more and more of the beautiful trees and the beautiful flowers and the beautiful birds. But I know that those an abstract idea of beauty, but you're, you're in the realm of that. Well, that's what it is to be increasing in the realm of the knowledge of God. Knowing God is the sphere in which our increasing occurs. We have to know him through faith in Jesus Christ. But after we know him, we are continually increasing in that knowledge. But it's more than a field of study. It's the knowledge of God is, is the air that we breathe. It is the ocean that we swim in. We, we saw this word earlier, knowledge, in verse 9, where we are filled with the knowledge of his will. And we describe this as kind of more an intense kind of knowing, an experiential knowledge, a real knowledge. Now, you can read, for example, about snakes. And I know that's kind of a strange shift from, from, from God to snake, but I think a snake is a good example here. You can read about snakes. You can learn about a snake. But your knowledge of that snake is different when that snake is suddenly seen in your home. As soon as you like move and all of a sudden there's a snake in your house that you've been startled by, that knowledge, whatever you learned in that book is put into practice, especially if you find out that you have a venomous snake. That knowledge just got real. That's real knowledge. That, that is suddenly experiential knowledge. Job 42 verse 5, and, 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 and this is after Job's dramatic experience of God. Job 42 verse 5 says, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. And that's what this real knowledge is. It's now my eyes see you. I get you, God. In verse 9, the phrase knowledge was used that we be filled with the knowledge of his will. In verse 10, the knowledge is of God himself. But I want to be careful to, to, to not make too, too much of a, a distinction there. We know God from his will, from his word. God's will and God's revelation of himself in his word emanates from God's character, from his attributes. To know God's word as God intended, including the Old Testament. If you are a Psalm 1 person who delights in God's law and meditates on it day and night, is to know God. To know the gospel. In a way which you, it's not just reciting the facts and spiritual laws and colors of the wordless book, but in a way which you've put your hope in Christ alone is what it means to know God. We walk worthy by knowing God, not only truth about God, not, not, not just the attributes of God found in a systematic theology, though that's great and essential, but in relationship with God whom we know to be true, not just truth about God, but in relationship with the God whom we know to be true. The people that we love the most are the people that we spend time knowing. The people we love the most are the people we spend time knowing. Now, for those of you who are married, if you think about, about some of the best dates that you've had with your spouse, I bet it's those that where you found out something new about your spouse. A new joy, a new sadness, a new desire, a hope for the future, a new passion, or maybe a, a new burden, a new favorite or a new struggle. It, it, is, it, it is when you get to know them more. And that's with the people that we love the most. But it's not just learning. It's not just like going into a date and say, hey, can I find out a, a new fact about my spouse? See, the ones we love the most, we're excited to learn about them, but we also respond appropriately to that knowledge. We, we, we listen and then we think how we can serve, how, how, how we can support them, how, how we can encourage them, how we can share that joy with them or care that burden for them. That is what it means to be increasing the knowledge of a spouse. Well, in a similar way, increasing the knowledge of God is, is looking for God's revelation of himself and his word, and then responding appropriately. 
It's looking for God's revelation of himself and his word and then responding appropriately. That's, that's what increasing in knowledge is. It's responding with the affection we should, with the humility we should, with the thankfulness, with the obedience, with the joy, with the delight, with the fear, with the trust, with the clinging. All of those words that include our going to him because of what we see of him. That is what it is to be increasing in the knowledge of God. Deuteronomy 13 verse 4 says, You shall follow the Lord your God and fear him. And you shall keep his commandments and listen to his voice and serve him and cling him. All of those verbs are what it means to be increasing in the knowledge of God. 1 John 2 verses 3 through 5. 1 John 2 verses 3 through 5. By this we know that we have come to know him. If we keep his commandments, the one who says I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected by this. We know that we are in him. Do you know, God, we demonstrate that by responding appropriately. And part of that appropriate response is, is keeping his, keeping the commandments he's given to us. Walking worthy. Pleasing God requires increasing in the knowledge of God to find that our lifelong job, to find that we are students in the school of God. The more someone knows the works, whether of a famous painter or a famous author, the more someone knows the, the, the works of Shakespeare. You know, that, 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 that who knows how many times that scholar has read Hamlet. The more you get an insight into Shakespeare, what he values and what he honors and what he fears, you begin to get Shakespeare. You, you, you see how Shakespeare ticked and what drove him. But unlike Shakespeare, God is alive. He is not some dead author's works. We know God. We know him most perfectly in his revelation of Scripture. Well, and we'll talk, we know most perfectly in his son, but we know him in his perfect revelation in scripture. We see him, we see a portion of him in his actions. We, we, we see him in, in what he's made in creation. We see how he's acted in human history. We see him in our lives and how he's acted in grace to save us. And the more we respond to him as if he is who he says he is, as he is, I am who says I am, the more we are increasing in the knowledge of God, the more appropriately we respond to that revelation of himself. 1 Peter 2, verses 2 and 3 says that those of us who have tasted of the kindness of the Lord, those of us who have gotten the first sip in salvation of God, go to him to get more. And where do we find more of him? Where do we have our thirst quenched? 1 Peter 2, verses 2 and 3. Like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. If you have tasted the kindness of the Lord, if you have tasted that God is good, increase in the knowledge of him. Be growing in the knowledge of him by going to his word. And this is a great argument for reading scripture. You, even reading through all of scripture, you, you, you will have interpretive questions. Every morning I read and, 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 and whatever reading plan you're going through. And I was reading in, 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 in Zephaniah and Revelation as you're going through different parts of the Bible. You have lots of interpretive questions. But you can say, what does this reveal about God? There's always more to grow and increasing in the knowledge of God. And how does he want me to respond? I can't think of many portions of scripture where you won't get an answer of, I see God there. What do I see about God? The greatest revelation of God is in his son. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4 says, See the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. If you want to know God, then know Christ. If you want to see God, then read the Gospels. Hebrews 1.3, he is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. Get more of God by getting more of Jesus Christ. See God in the face of Christ. Jesus Christ makes the Father known. 
If you have been saved, God has brought you into a relationship with himself for you to know him. This is the purpose of your being. Yes, to, to, to bear fruit, but also to increase in the knowledge of him. This kind of experiential knowledge is why he saved you. As much as he saved you to bear fruit in every good works, there is an and there. and We need to be hand people and heart people, hand people and head people. Are you increasing in the knowledge of God's sovereignty during this coronavirus crisis? Are you increasing in an understanding of how much God knows of his, of his control over every single cell? of his mercy and of his grace, of his compassion towards you. A hot day, some of you found out, exposes the health of your lawns, exposes the health of your trees. I remember in a, 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 a 2018, I remember that, that 114 degree day we had. I remember seeing trees whose leaves completely fell. A hot day reveals the health of our yard. These times of stress are re revealing to you the state of your knowledge of God. This is a great time to be increasing in the knowledge of God. Oh, how, how simple and how beautiful is God's work for us. Bear fruit in every good work and increase in the knowledge of him. What have these times of stress been revealing about your knowledge of God? One day... When we stand before Jesus Christ, uh, the museum of our lives are going to be open to God. God's people are going to look back on their lives. And unlike works of art that when we're right before our death, like George O'Keefe wanted to go through and purge, there's no going back and erasing the past. There's no way to hide the record of what has been less than worthy. Your life's work will stand before Christ. And 1 Corinthians 3, verses 12 and 15 discusses that. If any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, that's awesome, wood, hay, and straw, less so, each man's work will become evident. For the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a, a reward. This is not talking about gaining entrance into heaven, but the rewards for obedience that comes from God's grace working in our lives. But if any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved. Yet so is through fire. Uh, the museum curator is going to walk through our, our museum. I know there's going to be hallways that we wish we were able to hide in another room. What will you do with the life which Christ has redeemed? Will you be walking worthy, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God? Will your life be an exhibit? You'll be glad to walk with your savior through, to walk to, with your shepherd through your king. When you go down the coronavirus of 2020 hall, one among many halls in our lives, will he be pleased? Perhaps some of you are afraid to ask that question this morning. You know you haven't been walking worthy these past weeks. Maybe you've been living in fear, living in laziness, living in selfishness, living in impurity, living in complaining. Perhaps you have lots of hallways in your life you'd be embarrassed by. My first question is that you, do you know the gospel in truth? Colossians 1.6 says about how the, how the saints in, in Colossae had responded. How the gospel has been doing in you also since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. And it is valuable to look at our lives and say, have I understood the grace of God in truth? When God uses his word to expose our sin, and when God has done that in your life, and maybe he's doing that in your life this morning, do you run for the grace to be found in Jesus Christ? Has Christ rescued you? Has he forgiven you? Has he redeemed you? 
Have you been made right with God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Does your life belong to him? Have, have, have you turned over your life and have you come to the point where you came to him and say, God, all I've got is a museum full of, 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 of disgusting works. None of that would buy me entrance into heaven. I'm ashamed of all of it. Have you gone to Jesus Christ and say, I need a savior? Have you understood the grace of God and truth that Jesus is saying, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, because I am I, I am meek and lowly of heart. Jesus is saying, yes, your life is, is, is full of things you're embarrassed by. Come to me and be saved, be forgiven, and I will teach you to paint God-pleasing work. Have you come to that point in your life? If not, go to him. Go to him and be saved. And some of you have already trusted in, in him. And yet you're, you're still maybe embarrassed by this uh, coronavirus hall or, or, or other periods of your life after coming to Christ. For you, my friends, Christ is the only answer. He has always been the only answer and he will always be the only answer. In standing before God, your life work in Jesus Christ, and I say this, in Jesus Christ is priceless because the master work of Jesus Christ has been applied to your account. Legally, before God, our standing before God, for those who've been justified, who've been declared right, when we walk down our hallway, we see his life work on the wall. And yet it's our name underneath. God has given us the standard of his own son, the righteousness of his son in our place and our life's works. Christ has taken the shame of, in a sense, when he was on the cross, they were placed in his hallway. The life of exhibit, the life exhibit of, of, of Isaiah became the life exhibit of Christ. And he paid the penalty penalty for our profane and idolatrous and worthless and filthy paintings. That, that's what happened on the cross. Jesus took the punishment for our sins so that we might become the righteousness of God. And maybe you're, you're, you're comforted by that, but you're still a little concerned. What about my hallway after Christ? There's so much I'm still ashamed of. After I came to that knowledge of him, I... I know he's declared me righteous, but, but there's still so much that I wish I hadn't done. Well, there's encouragement for you. The works in your hallway that you are most ashamed of, the days and hours, sometimes weeks, you've wasted in sin and not believing God's promises, they are testimonies to God's work. They're testimonies of God's patience. They're testimonies of God's transforming grace that you are not who you once were. You're still not who you ought to be. You're still not who you, who you will be. But they show evidence of God's grace in your life. The fact that you are still painting for him, the fact that you are still here this morning is evidence of God's grace working in your life. And one day after we see Christ, when we are transformed, your obedience, your future obedience is going to be flawless. Every painting you make for eternity is going to be beautiful. And day after day is going to be worthy of him. Don't we long for that day? If you are willing to repent of yesterday's painting for some of you, even maybe this morning's, you can continue the rest of this day with a blank canvas. That is what forgiveness is. We can come to him for forgiveness again and again because he cast our sins away and he washes over our canvas in the blood of Christ. Listen to these sweet words from Psalm 103, verses 11 to 13. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. And that fearing him is what it means to be increasing in the knowledge of him. It's running to him because he's gracious. Will you 
commit to walk worthy of him? Will you be fully pleasing to him? Will you be bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God? What will you paint on today's canvas? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this incredible grace that you've given us. What hope in your word. I thank you, Father, that you have called us to, 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 to walk worthy. And even that, what a, what a high calling that you would want us to match up with this gift of grace to us in Jesus Christ. That, that, that you would expect us to be increasing the knowledge of you and bearing fruit in every good work. Lord, what a privilege. What a privilege to have this, 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 this new canvas given to us in Christ Jesus to be painting a life that is, that's full of good works and increasing in your knowledge. And by God's grace, by your grace, you've been transformed this work in us since the day that we came to Christ Jesus, making it more and more beautiful. Lord, we do come before you and confess, Lord, that so many days, so many hours, so many minutes, what we are using with the freedom you've given us in Christ falls so short of his worth, Lord. And we do come before you confessing again and again that just as when we were saved, we still need Christ's perfect righteousness. And we cling to that, Lord. And we, we, we rejoice in the fact that you have given our life exhibit has become his perfect works. That, that, that before you, we are beautiful and we are welcomed in Christ. And yet, Father, we want to, to, to have a paintings that are worthy of his name being underneath them. And we do want to have paintings that are increasingly worthy of being authored by Jesus Christ, working in our lives, uh, being produced through him in us. Oh, please, Father, may the the uh, coronavirus hallway, we can't wait till, till it is closed. Uh, we can't wait to be together again. But may this uh, period of our lives be one in which beautiful works are, are, are painted while we are increasing in the knowledge of you so that you are brought all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.